old man in us that just constantly contaminates us, and we got to spend time dealing with that. Today I'm going to talk about emotions and how do we detox negative emotions. And I feel that I'm the best of all the staff, I'm the best qualified to talk about emotions because of all the staff, I'm the least emotional. I don't smile much, I don't cry much, I don't uh, display any passion for any particular successful football team. I don't exhibit any extra enthusiasm for any state that I had lived in at one time in my life, because obviously it's paradise. But, but actually, I'm quite emotional. And so with the good of that, there's a lot of downside with that, and I really get that, being emotional. You know, God made us emotional because he's emotional and we're in his image. He could have made us robots. You know, and it's an interesting thing that when men make robots for whatever use, that, that they always are working at constantly making it more human and especially in the area of emotions. You know, I have this uh, iPad and some of you have iPads and iPhones and um, they, through this technology, have developed a personality on here called Siri. Are you familiar with Siri? Many of you are? And of course, you ask Siri a question, and Siri will get that information to you really quick. But what I like to do, and I'm sure you've done it too, is to ask Siri emotional questions. So the other day, I asked Siri, do you love Jesus? And she replied back to me that her policy is a separation between spirit and silicon. So I went a little further and I said, okay, I thought I'd ask her, like Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? I know you're thinking I'm weird, right? <laughs> but, but I said, Siri, do you love me? And I asked that three times and after two unemotional responses, on the third time she said, Forrest, definitely you are beginning to grow on me. So, I feel really good that I was able to charm electronics, you know? <laughs> you know, emotions are interesting, though, because there's just so many angles to it, so, so much complexity to our emotions. And Ohio State did a recent study on, on emotions, and basically, they were conducting this study to uh, display these, these different emotions. Of course, there's the basic six emotions of being happy and sad and being angry and disgusted and being fearful and being surprised. Those are the basic ones. But they had a theory that the, the emotions can translate to the face some hybrid emotions. In fact, they said there's no less than 21 emotions that can translate to the face. And so they conducted a search for someone to best represent this. And amazingly, of, of all the applications, someone on our staff got the job, Jay. <clears throat> this is Jay displaying being happy, in case you've never seen it. Um, this is Jay displaying being disgusted. And then in their theory of hybrid emotions, this is Jay displaying being happily disgusted. And I think what got Jay the job is that he was able to display all 21 emotions on 
his single face all at one time. <laughs> and just so you know, I did apply for the job as well, but I didn't get it. <clears throat> and you can see why. But you know, emotions are purposed by God to please him and for us also to be pleased. But because of sin, our hearts that are made in, in, in order to bless sometimes come up with some very toxic emotions, deep emotions. And I'm so glad that God didn't abandon us, but he broke his own heart so that again, my emotions could bless him and bless others and be a blessing to myself. You know, God early on, he declared his intentions for the emotion of the human. In Deuteronomy 6, he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. He goes on to say, teach your kids, put, put my words in your, on your forehead and put, put them on the doors of the gates. In other words, he's saying, I want you to love me first and I want you to love me most. And do that by keeping my words close to you. And in doing so, that's going to penetrate every area of your life. Jesus confirmed this in the New Testament when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's provided this perfect formula for us that if we give our heart, give our emotions to God, then the self that has been given to God is actually the best self to offer your neighbor. So it's a great formula. We're not just emotions either. Our soul, our mind, our might, all those components. But when I read these verses, I get from this that we are to be good stewards of our emotions. That our emotions are actually a resource of God. In other words, I can't allow my emotions to not serve him or to serve others and to be of service to myself. And so, but emotions, they're, they're just not easy to tame. I've done some physically demanding things in my life. I used to play football, and I was a safety, and so I did a lot of hitting. And then I was a running back as well, so I got hit a lot. And then I did track, which was very physically demanding, a lot of discipline, and I did that year round. And I know what you're thinking, boy, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but of all the physical battles that I have been involved in, there's nothing, nothing to compare to the emotional battles in my life. Some people think that emotions are for women or for kids or for, for wimpy men but actually emotions are super strong. Some say that maybe we should try to do away with them because, or, or not, not to give them any credence because they mislead us, or they weaken us, so we should just chuck them. But so do our thoughts, and so does our strength, and we can't chuck them. You know, Jesus displayed many emotions, and yet he did it differently because he did it without sin. In fact, that's what makes him an awesome high priest. In Hebrews, it tells us that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses. In other words, when we sin or when we're tempted, when we're struggling through things, it's not that he's just aware, 
of what we're going through. It says he's touched. He has an emotional connection to what we go through. So in other words, he gets us. But one thing about Christ is that he can transform emotions. He can take rage and turn it into forgiveness and lust into respect and worry into peace and sadness into joy and guilt into freedom. But how do we deal with them? How do we deal with emotions? Because they're so strong and so complex. I'm going to share three things that are common ways we deal with emotions, but they're not good ways. And I believe all of us have handled our emotions with these three things. First of all, we excuse or justify. Like in the case of anger, at times we may say, well, hey, I can't help it. I was born this way. I can't help it. I'm Italian. I can't, I can't, or maybe we go to blaming. And so I, I'm, I'm sorry I got angry, but I can't help that because it's the Browns' fault. Some of you relate to that. Or the second thing we do is we stuff them. We push them down. But just like termites, there's a damage that goes underneath. And when we stuff things, what happens is stuffing always leads to surfacing. And when it surfaces, it always comes out worse than the original emotion that you stuffed. Or it comes out very distorted. In fact, it's what makes it sometimes hard to diagnose what's really going on because it changes. See, it's not like, a, like age does for a fine, fine wine, makes it better. It actually spoils. Jesus says in Matthew, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And it's an interesting thing because you'd think when you mourn and get out to your grief, you think the comforting comes by others, which it does, because they see that you're mourning. But he's saying that there is an actual self-comforting by mourning and getting it out. And it's not just referring to death. It's referring to loss, other things that we mourn. Get that out. Don't stuff it. And then the third thing that we often do would be to numb it. Medicate it. Drugs. Alcohol. Or just indulging in and pleasure. So these are the common things that many of us at one time with one of those or more have done to handle some of our emotional challenges. I'm going to look at a passage where Jesus processes emotions in Matthew chapter 26. And it's a familiar passage, but it gives us a simple model of how to process our emotions. He says in verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Now, this is a very obvious process. I'm not going to really teach you anything new about this, but we abandon this or we invert it. But I want you to see how simple this is. It's this simple. With what he was bearing, he took it first to God. He took it first to God. And he did this, and we know in his life that he did this often. And here in this heaviest time, he did it again. See, when we take things to God, we take everything to God. The little things never become big. And then when the big things come, we're not knocked off a rocker. We have a routine of what we do when we face some kind of challenge. The second basic simple process here is that he went to others. And he right here invites his closest friends in on his emotion. He let them know what he was going through and, that, and, and opened that all for them. And then not only did he let them know what he was going through, but he invited them to pray with them, with him about what he was going through. So his example of processing emotions was great. The disciples, on the other hand, was not so great. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But this simple process can help us discover what our emotions are because that's part of why we have trouble working through what's going on in us because we haven't properly identified. You know, sometimes our upbringing has a lot to do with that. And I can't blame all that, but it's part of it. You know, we have bad experiences and all those things can shape us and can distort us knowing what's going on inside of us. You know, I, I look at different families and have observed, and so have you, you know, there's some families that are just so overly emotional. And I kind of call them the mushroom cloud emotion of family. They're, they're the ones that when something happens, they overreact. You know what I'm talking about? So you tell dad something and he's like all over the place and maybe he's angry or maybe he's really happy or maybe really sad, but mom, you can't tell mom anything because mom will shake and oh, no. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or am I just acting foolish in front of you? You ever see that? Or is that what you grew up in and so forth? See, what happens in a family like that, that atmosphere actually doesn't give a realistic picture. Things are more wrong than they are, and things are better than they are. And then there's the other type of family that I would call the stagnant pond family. And that's where something big can happen, but not even a ripple goes on. In fact, everything is, shh, we don't talk about it. You don't tell your father. We don't react. And that's unrealistic as well. Because you never deal with things. You feel it, but you can't deal with it. Some of us have been raised in families like that, and there's no clarity. And these kind of upbringings, upbringings can leave us with a lot of emotional baggage. So discerning what's going on is so important because emotions can wear masks. Anger could actually be jealousy, and sadness can be ungratefulness, and happiness could be revenge. And intimidation can actually be that person themselves who's intimidating can be because they're scared to death. And so it's important. And this is why we go to God. We go to his word. In fact, Hebrews 4 says, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing 
as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, God's word unmasks and clarifies things for the heart. Another good thing to do in going to God's word is going to a counselor that will help you with God's word or a friend who knows God's word so that they can take his word like a machete and whack a path for you and help you to see through the fog or the fallout. So a good question for us is what is our home like? Is our home like a mushroom cloud? Is our home like a stagnant pond? Is our home a real place where we really laugh and really cry and really deal with things? So going to God and others is the simple formula. But there's something else we see in the passage. That you can go to God and share with others and yet the emotion or the problem doesn't go away. But that process helps you navigate through your emotions. Jesus here prays three times about this weight on him, the cup. This is not the first time that he's understood about this assignment going to come to him. We have, even when he was 12 years old in the temple, understood he's here for a purpose that his father had planned for him. But now, this event is upon him, and it's very, very heavy, because he soon would become sin for us. And you look at this prayer, and he says he prayed three times, and this is in the element of the prayer in verse 39. If possible, let this cup pass, yet not as I will, but as you will. In there we see what he felt, we learn what he desired, but we see him submit that the most important thing, no matter what, is that God's will be done. So that's what you see even after three prayers. And all of that while the beneficiaries were sleeping. But the problem didn't go away. Jesus displaying an amazing amount of emotions wasn't led by those emotions. See, emotions can stick with us, but emotions don't have to stop us. And so many don't move forward because the emotions have got them stuck and they don't plow through that. In, in the NIV, verse 46, after all this happens, this heavy event happens, he says to the disciples, rise, let's go. And there's an exclamation point afterwards. And of course there was the urgency that the betrayer was coming. But it's also like this, I've taken this deep and heavy thing to God. I've prayed three times for it to change, and it didn't. But he goes on to say, we're moving forward. We're going to do what God wants. And he puts an exclamation point. And I know that many of you have exclamation points and moments in your, in your life when in spite of what you have felt, you did not let it stop you. And you did not miss the plan of God for your life because you moved forward. Have you ever prayed and not felt anything afterwards? <laughs> well, just keep praying and keep moving. You know, people here at Grace, they serve in spite of not feeling like it. Everyone here has some challenge, something heavy, something going on, but they don't let that stop them. And I'm very inspired by them. But you know, I'm also inspired by unbelievers who work through an awful lot of emotions without taking those things to God. And I thought, I have God. How can I stop? 
God has something for me through this. So some emotions we can't detox, but we can detour. We don't have to, we don't have to go down that path. We may have lost something, but it doesn't have to stop us. You know, about a month or so ago, I actually had a single mom here in our church. And she called, or she had messaged me and said, when is your Bible study? And I told her, it's you know, Wednesday night, and so she was going to start coming. And, and I remember a few years back with her that she had had a, an accident, a vehicle. And in that accident, she lost her five-year-old son. And I still remember there at the hospital, how do you comfort her? How do you communicate a plan in this? What a loss. And I watched her, she came to church and so forth. And, but just, just recently she came up to me and we talked after class and we had prayer together. She said, I owe everything to God. He spared me and I want my life to mean something. I want my life to be a blessing. She didn't stop, though she had a lot of reasons to. That's Kristen Nowak. What a blessing. And I know there's others of you who've done the same thing, gone through some really low times, but it has not stopped you. Been hard, but you didn't stop. You know, what's worse sometimes is going through something and that there's no human help. <laughs> like the disciples here, they, they actually were of no use. But you know, Jesus didn't get ticked at them. He didn't get ticked. Or he didn't ditch them. He still invited him them along with his plan. See, I look at that and I say, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to be like that. You see, the church, all of us are like detox agents for each other. We're all here to be a help to one another. Proverbs 12, 25, what a great verse. And this is the King James Version. I love the wording to express this principle where it says, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. But a good word maketh it glad. I love that word stoop because it gives this physical illustration to this emotion that when the heart is heavy, that it's like the posture of stooping over. Yesterday I was with a lady here in our church who's been really battling cancer. And she said to me after service here a little while back, she had fallen in the atrium. And she said that right then that a lady in our church who had a cane gets down on her hands and knees and says, let me help you up. <laughs> and as she's telling me the story, she's weeping because she was so blessed that this person with all what they have on them was still offering to help her up. And she wept because she was saying, I, I know I thanked her, but I, I don't even know her name. And that meant so much to me. So if that's you, let me know that. I'd like to share that with her to encourage her. We are detox agents for one another. You know, I, I looked up some things on detoxing. And everything that I found is that it, it isn't for the faint-hearted. When you do a physical detox, it's hard. It's not pleasant. It takes a lot of will. And what all of them say, it's all kind of designed to be short-term, not longly successful. And then not only that, you have to do a bunch of denying of things. And I kept reading, you have to deny 
meat. <laughs> I don't want to do that, right? And not only that, you have to add a lot of gross things to eat. And then there's the extras, like enemas. <laughs> That's like in every plan. So when you look at this and people go, I want to take care of myself physically, it's, it's, it's not easy. And I think negative emotional detoxing is very similar. It takes work, it takes time, it's not permanent success, though it does move you along and helps you grow. You have to deny some things and add some things, and yes, there are some spiritual enemas. <laughs> Sometimes they're really getting it out. It's not pleasant, but it's good. I want to go through three quickly with you, just three of negative emotions. There's many. Just talk a few moments on each one. First of all, probably one of the most common is worry. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, common verse. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, with, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart, hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I read that, what I see is a fight plan. I don't just see this wand, here's how to wash it all away. I don't, I don't see here that you just pray a few words. I see a, a plan that's going to take time and take work and take some extras. Now, I don't know any of you here who would consider yourself a worry wart. I'd have, you, I'd have you raise your hand, but I really don't want to see your fingers without fingernails, you know? But some, you know, when it, you think about some of that constantly worry, our hearts are to be given to God. He has bigger things for our heart than for us to have them full of worry. And we owe it to God to implement a plan to fight it. He uses this word nothing. See, nothing has the right to your heart. Worry is like a toxic emotion. And there's a great verse. Now, he says, secondly, to pray. Everything you worry about, you can pray about. And you can pray often and you can pray deeply as the verse guides. So if you can worry, you can pray. The next element in here is gratefulness. Because see, when we're thankful for whatever's coming or whatever we think is coming that we decide to worry about, gratefulness works like a filter. How many times have you worried deeply about something and at the end of it, you go, why did I worry? <laughs> in fact, it wasn't that something negative didn't happen or something difficult didn't happen, but now I see that God had this for me. And this was actually good, and I worried needlessly. So that's why he says, be grateful. So it's like these three steps. Look at it as a plan. Pray, pray often, pray deeply, and pray with thanksgiving. Do that, and then the next step is God's. In fact, I do that because it's just like detox. It has to be done with repeat and dedication. And then God steps in and says, he gives you peace, and that peace is to guard your heart, and your mind. It doesn't mean that he's going to make something go away, but he's going to give you a peace. In fact, the fact that that peace passes all understanding is often because what was hard didn't go away. But you have God's peace because you dealt with it with this kind of fight plan. Another emotion is anger. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. There's a lot being said here. See, anger really isn't the problem. It's no control is the problem. 
And that's how people damage themselves and damage others. This idea of being broken into, I like that phrase there, it's interesting. It's the idea of being robbed of goods. And in a sense, you've been robbed of the, by the anger bandit. The anger, though, usually seeks to, to make others lose. It's basically saying, you're the one that loses. Your walls come down. See, goods aren't only taken from you, but they're not replaced. An angry person, what happens is people avoid them. People don't give them love. People don't give them respect. People are afraid. And what's really bad is people won't tell them the truth because they're so afraid of how they're going to respond. And that's, again, why the walls fall. So how do we deal with that? First of all, I think it's important to identify the source of anger. And the reason I say that is because it may not be anger. It may be really that you have pride. It may be that you're selfish. It may be that you have fear or trust issues or unforgiveness. And it's all being masked as anger. Secondly, be angry about the right things. Because anger is not a bad emotion. There's a need for anger. You know, it's easy to think we need less anger in the world, but actually if we have a controlled anger, it works to protect and to deter evil. Would you agree? We need some of that in the world. So the question might be is, are we angry enough about our sin? So we need controlled anger. If you look at Jesus in the temple, he displays an amazing amount of anger. But it's controlled because he's protecting something very important, and that is the house of prayer. Here in the garden, when he's getting ready to take on our guilt, he could so easily have been ticked, but he controlled that response so that you and I could be protected. God said, leave the anger to him. Vengeance is his. So we need to turn our cheeks. We need to pour the cold water. We need to hold our tongue. And we need to let some things go. And the last one I want to mention and quickly is guilt. It's probably one of the most undesirable emotions that we can have upon us. Because guilt is an emotion of debt. You owe for what you did. And if there is no payment, it's not removed. Guilt is very sticky. In the Old Testament, it gives certain actions that can happen when you, you offend that, you, that there is a requirement of restitution, which can be like fourfold the amount. What you took fourfold has to be repaid. And that's not just to be good or gracious to the one you offended. It's also a part of the therapy that helps the sincerely sorry person is to help them deal with the guilt. Because guilt is so nasty, it can stick even after the apologies and after restitution. Guilt is nasty strong. Why? It's so strong because God's holiness is so strong. And that's why it doesn't flee. See, obeying God prevents us from harming others and harming ourselves. But it also, God knows, it prevents this stuff from happening, this guilt, which he says when he forgives us, it's that guilt can still be there, and he knows that. So just obey and just trust him, because doing God, God's way spares a lot of emotional energy that guilt uses up. Though it's nasty, it's also valuable. It's uniquely nasty, 
Because the things that we try to do, like excusing or stuffing or, or numbing it, that doesn't work. It doesn't deal with it. In fact, guilt can't be properly handled by unholy people. It just can't. We think so little of holiness that we come up with our own version of what should pay for it. And it's not enough. See, guilt is so nasty. What it does is anything we try to do to deal with it outside of what God says is going to fall short. Guilt will stick there because it's driving us to the only one who can help us with it, and that is God. All sin is against God. And so, therefore, he, being the offended, is the one to set us free. I remember one time when I worked in a factory, as I uh, was told when I came in that day, I was a setup man for the big dies on these punch presses. And I was told when I came in, don't, whatever you do, don't break this die tonight. It's almost like you break the die, you die. I mean, that's what it was. And I still remember that because my, my foreman helped me and we worked really hard, very carefully to make sure that no damage would come. And so we, we working hard at it, but we, the first time we tried it, it cracked the die. And I remember then, of course, I was newly married and I thought, oh my goodness, I am going to get fired. Or if they make me pay for this, it's going to be thousands of dollars. There's just no way that I can pay for this. And after some time, after meeting with everybody and all that, they didn't fire me. And they didn't charge me. And I remember the, um, the heaviness and the emotion of that. And yet the only one that really could set me free was the one that offended me. Or the one that I offended. The one who lost. And they did. And I that's always thought about, God, that's what you've done for me. So how do we detox guilt? A couple quick things. First of all, Confess. Confess means to agree with what has been done wrong. Don't justify. Don't stuff. Confess. Secondly, repent. Turn away from it. Go towards God's way. Thirdly, make right what you can. Apologize. Square out anything that you can. Next, accept the consequences. I know this is a little different, but consequences are actually what let others know that you have paid. God allows those. Even he forgives us, he allows us because it allows others to know. Because others are so quick to keep the guilt upon you. And when people squirt, you know, and squeeze out of consequences, you know, I don't want to deal with those. It, it only makes people pile on the guilt on you because they feel like you haven't paid. So just accept it. Nothing wrong with asking for mercy and grace but accept the consequences. And then give, give it all to God because God says this. In the Old Testament, he says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God can set you free. And many of us in here know that power of God setting us free from our guilt. And then after all those things, don't forget to let it go yourself. Set yourself free. Because God has. See, here in the garden, Jesus was innocent. And the guilt of the world, though he said, let this pass from me, the guilt of the world was going to come upon him and it wasn't going to miss him. You and I, being guilty because of Christ, that his innocence 
wasn't going to miss us. Praise the Lord for that. Here at church, like I talked about earlier, we're to be detox agents. We're to help others to deal with their guilt. See, we have no room to judge because we all had to deal with guilt as well. Give that to Christ. So we're God's love to help them feel forgiven and to restore them, not just to exist again, but to fellowship again and to participate and to worship with us. You know, Grace Community Church here, we don't serve out of guilt. We serve because we've been set free by grace. And there, the joy that we have here is not a display or to, to somehow impress God. It is truly because we've been set free. So a lot of more emotions to talk about. These are just a couple principles. But today, whatever it is that you're struggling with and in the sense of your emotions, let's make sure we remember that our hearts belong to God and we are to be good stewards of them. So make sure that we're taking things to God. Do this process of take it to God and share it, share your emotions, your struggle with someone else, especially if they know God's word to be a help. And then if nothing changes, keep moving forward. From this too, let's do the hard work and the constant work of detoxing negative emotions so God can use our emotions for himself. You know, I wanted to, when I was thinking through this message, I wanted to really emphasize the reality of the work that's involved in dealing with our emotions. But I don't want anyone to think that there isn't hope. Because through this process comes a lot of joy and a lot of freedom. You know one thing I've also noticed when people give themselves to Christ, one of the things we notice in their growth and in the reality of their change is their emotions. They have more peace. They have a love that God, how God loves. They have joy. They have forgiveness. And they display that wonderful emotion of being free. So I want to challenge all of us to think about these things and ask the Lord to help us to process our negative emotions so that we can be available to serve God. I also want to say today, if there's anyone here that you don't know Christ, when we say, talking all here about Jesus, you're not sure where you stand with God. And you do feel the guilt of sin in your life. I would like to invite you today, after the song here, to go to room one. It's right here. It's double doors you see at the back of the auditorium. If you would go there, and we have pastors today that would like to share with you how you can be set free from your guilt through Christ. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, how it's so complete and accurate, relative, realistic, to helping us deal with our emotions. I pray, Father, that all of us would work on these things. That, Lord, we would have courage as we go through our walk with you, as you did so much for us. May, Lord, we be a healthy and a clean church to do your work.
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.